0: Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to The Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen.
1: If the last thing that you can testify that God did for you was save you from your sin, then you're not really paying attention or something's really gone wrong in the process. He begins the day you surrender your life to transform you by the renewing of your mind into a person more like Jesus. And we should be able to look back at this last week, each and every one of us and say, look at what God has done for me.
0: In today's broadcast, we have a new two-part study from Pastor Sam entitled Hope for Hopeless Cases. We're in Luke chapter 8, and we will pick up today in verse 22. This study will look at the wind and the waves obeying Jesus, Jesus healing a demon-possessed man and casting the demons into a herd of swine, and Jesus bringing a young girl back to life. So let's listen in.
1: Luke chapter 8, picking up at verse 22, Hope for Hopeless Cases. Now it happened, we read, on a certain day that he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us cross over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out, but as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling with water and were in jeopardy. Then they came to him and awoke him saying, Master, Master, we are perishing Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water and they ceased and there was a calm. But he said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid and marveled, saying to one another, who can this be? For he commands even the winds and water and they obey him." Nine times in the gospel accounts, we see Jesus exercising his authority, his power in the realm of nature. Nine miracles related to the creation and four of them are recorded in Luke for us. This is the first of the four and the scene is relatively simple Jesus is resting. Why? Because whenever he's on shore, he is ministering. Now he's offshore. Now he's in the boat. They're traveling across the lake. So he's getting a little much needed rest. In the midst of his resting, a storm rises. The disciples start freaking out. Uh, They wake him up. He rebukes first the storm. Then he rebukes the disciples. Well, asleep at peace in the storm. It's a very important picture because we can learn from it. Jesus could be, asleep and at peace, even in the midst of a storm, because he knew he was in the perfect will of the Father. The Bible says a man's heart devises his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Jesus was able to say, I do always those things that please the Father. He knew he was crossing over for a divine appointment. And so when he says, hey, let's cross over, he's at rest that he's going to reach the destination. Now, that's important to us because there are some promises made to us, like to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. He's saying, when we leave these bodies, we are instantaneously gonna be aware that we are in the presence of God. We will join in that heavenly chorus, casting our crowns at his feet, worshiping, crying, you are worthy. But, but you need to know that that. Well, when we think of getting from here to there, most of us aren't real excited about the process. The end result, absolutely. Who doesn't want to go to heaven? We all do. How many of you want to go right now? No hands. See, that's what happens. And and, and so the deal is when we're confronted with the, the, the possibility of death, which is, by the way, the only way we get to heaven, unless we're alive at the rapture and we'll go that way, either's okay. The point is this, to be at peace with whatever's going on in our lives, well, that can only happen if we know we're walking in the will of the Lord. The other issue here, and there are, well, two or three other important issues, so another issue is our obedience doesn't protect us from the storms of life, but they do secure us, it does secure us in the storms of life. There's a big difference. He's not saying, hey, nothing's going to happen. No trials, no tribulations, no persecutions, no storms. No, all those things are going to happen. But he keeps us in the midst of everyone. We also can see the importance of really listening to his words. Note, he doesn't say, let's go out in the middle of the lake and drown. That's what they think is going to happen, you see. And it's been pointed out by others. Hey, these are fishermen. Ah, not for sure. I mean, we know Peter, James and, and Andrew and John, they were fishermen, but maybe it was the tax collector and the other guys who were scared, you know, fishermen are like, ah, oh, we've seen this lots of times. Look at those guys. But maybe it was the fishermen freaking out. Either way, they wake Jesus up and, and they're like, hey, you know, and, and what were his words? Let's cross over to the other side of the lake. And so when we know what he's determined to do, we can be sure that that's going to be the outcome. When he's made a promise, he's always good on that promise. Well, you do have to wonder, well, you don't have to, but I wonder, what did they expect Jesus to do? Remember, this is the first miracle related to nature that they're seeing. So they're waking him up saying, Master, Master, we're perishing. And I'm wondering, what are they expecting? Because clearly they weren't expecting this outcome. Because when it happens, they're blown away by it. They're they're shocked, afraid, and marveling and asking a very good question. Who can this be? For he commands even the winds and the water and they obey him. Well, I like what, what happens here. He rebukes the storm first some have suggested this storm may have been supernatural in nature. I've been on the Sea of Galilee a few times, uh, many trips to Israel. On our last trip, we spent four hours out on that See, we parked well I guess you don't really park a boat do you but we and we weren't docking because we were in the middle of the lake we dropped anchor or whatever they do and we just sat and worshipped the Lord and then we'd get quiet and just look at the beautiful scenery and 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 we would consider at least this is what I was doing I was thinking we're going from the area where we know he left to the area we know he landed. This is, this has gotta be where it all happened. I mean, you can see both shores. It's not that far away, not that huge. And so somewhere in this vicinity, the storm arose and, and was it a natural storm? That happens there. It's very low, way below sea level. And uh, the storms just come up. The winds rip through and the waves get radical. And it didn't happen to us. We were grateful for that. Beautiful day, early in the morning, hours out there. But the point is some have suggested, and I think I mentioned it, that this could have been supernatural. Either way, it doesn't matter. If it was natural, Jesus created nature. He can control it. If it was supernatural, we're gonna see in a moment, Jesus created all things in all beings, so he can control them. So he rebukes the storm first, then he rebukes the disciples. As someone who raised a family and didn't always do it right, I uh, sometimes got these two reversed. First I'd rebuke the kids and then I'd you know deal with the problem at hand. And I realize that I need to pass on an encouragement that if you're raising a family, deal with the crisis first and then deal with the lesson related. Yeah, they're teachable moments, but sometimes you just need to deal with the real crisis and then you need to try to teach or do whatever it is you know God's called you to do uh, with the kids as it would relate to the situation well they're asking who could this be the answer by the way since the passage doesn't say it could be God and uh, in fact it's pretty pretty uh, good chance that that's what we're looking at and and if you've read ahead I don't want to spoil it for you but uh you know Jesus is in fact God just in case I don't see you again hate to you know pass up the opportunity so uh Disciples helpless, but not hopeless. Why? They were in the boat with Jesus. And so, well, I got to ask, are you not in the boat? Because, you know, we're clearly in the church. But the the issue is, are are you with him? And is he with you? And are you submitted to the Father so that whatever happens, you can know, hey, I can rest in this. I can be at peace. I can trust. I'm going to get from here to there. Maybe stormy on the way but his promises are good. Well, they sailed to the country, verse 26 of the Gadarenes, which is opposite the Galilee. We have a um, saying, you know, the other side of the tracks. That's what, sailing to the other side of this lake represents for them. This is the, the other side where the, he's on the Jewish side when he starts, uh, although most of the Jewish population is down toward Jerusalem and Judea. He's up in Galilee. It's the north. There's more Gentiles there, but when he crosses the lake, now he's in the area of Syria and you have Lebanon just to the north uh, west, and, and then you have uh, Jordan today to the south and then you have Egypt to the southwest so he's on the other side of the tracks this is like a whole different world and it's important to know that jesus did a lot of ministry in the area of syria and, and in those those that area of jordan and, and and so he was reaching out not just to the the northern gentiles but he was reaching out to other cultures as he brought the good news and and i, I think that that's pretty much what we're supposed to be doing Today, well, he crosses the Galilee, um, or the the um, yeah the the Sea of Galilee, and when he stepped out onto the land, there met him a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time, and he wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house, but in the tombs. Four times in the Gospels, Jesus cast demons out of people. I'm certain it happened far more than that, but there are four specific events and and individuals that we have recorded three of them are in Luke and so um it's it's important to see this man's situation could not be more tragic we're told three things about him here and then some more when we read a little further on he had been demon possessed we read for a long time That's radical, but it does suggest there was a time he wasn't demon possessed. And the scripture doesn't tell us how it happened or or what he did to open that door. But we know he was born into a family like everyone else that he would have played in the streets like all the other kids. And that at some point in his life something happened and and the door was open and the demons entered in and and when demons enter into a human they do it to torment and devastate and destroy that life and that's that the, exactly what we see happening to him as the demons take control we find he wore no clothes now listen that's never a good thing uh you know i i, I see some things on the news suggesting otherwise but those people are whacked it, 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 it reminds me, though, of a story John Corson tells. If you've ever been up to Applegate Christian Fellowship, you know how beautiful it is. If you haven't and you're traveling up toward Medford, you got to go visit there. If you're up on a weekend, go visit. It's Applegate Christian Fellowship. Anyway, John had moved up from Southern Cal and he's sharing the Lord up there. And, and a lot of people were getting saved. And a lot of them were hippies and they were growing pot and stuff. In fact, uh, I know for a fact there were a group up there that were growing all kinds of pot. They got saved. They they were good at farming, so they just switched to people. And uh, they put out some very good peanut butter now. And if you see Maranatha peanut butter, those are the guys, see? And so uh, God takes what you're good at and he just makes you, gives you something legal and profitable. But, but anyway, the story goes, and true story, by the way, John uh, announces he's going to do a baptism. He shows up the baptism. He goes out into the water. He turns around and all the people are standing there naked. And uh, so it's sort of like, what do you do with that, Right. Naked's never good. And uh, but he just said he averted his eyes and he did the baptism. And from then on, he always taught on modesty before a baptism. (laughs) Hasn't been as much of an issue here in Chico, fortunately. But but uh, what a bizarre, bizarre situation. And and uh, this guy's situation even worse because, well, he's he's possessed by demons. He's living naked and he's living naked, not in a house, but, but in the tombs, that would be like us living in a graveyard today. The tombs were just caves where they buried. And, uh, and so he's living among the dead. And then, well, we, we read that Jesus, when he saw Jesus, he cried out, verse 28, he fell down before him and with a loud voice said, what have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? Now, There's no doubt it's the demon speaking through the man. How do we know that? It's so clear. No one, no disciple or no one else up to this point has recognized who Jesus is. But the demons know who he is. Why? They were made by him and for him, just like we were. Colossians says all things were made by him and for him and in him all things consist. So the demons recognize Jesus and and note the testimony. They they say, what do we have to do with you, Jesus? They know his name and then they know he's the son of the most high God. Now the disciples are going to get this. It's going to take a while. We're not yet to the point where Peter recognizes Jesus. But when that happens, He'll say flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. And apparently, even though they heard the testimony of the demons, they didn't put it together that it was true that Jesus was and is the son of the living God. Now, the demon here begs and it's the first of three times the demon or the demons will beg. But it's first of five times the word beg is used in the rest of this chapter. He says, I beg you, do not torment me. And I find this ironic. What was the demon and what were the demons doing? They were tormenting the man. And they're like, oh, don't torment us. Don't give us what we're giving them. Oh, grace, grace. not gonna happen. Well, he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. It often seized him. And when he was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles, and he broke the bonds and was driven by the demon into the wilderness. Now, again, it's clear the demon's speaking. He recognizes him. He acknowledges him. He not only knows who he is, he knows Jesus has authority and power over him. That's why he says, I beg you, do not torment me. He knows Jesus will be his judge. The man himself is again described as having been under guard chained and shackled and he was able because of the demons living within him to break those chains and then of course isolated because that's what the the demons wanted to do keep him from human contact keep him from human comforts keep him from spiritual blessings And so here's this man tormented, helpless, hopeless. Well, Jesus asked him saying, what is your name? Again, addressing the demons, not the man. And the demon responds. He says, legion, because many demons had entered him and they begged him. So first the demon begged him. Now the demons beg him that he would not command them to go out into the abyss. Nine times the word abyss, well, or the word translated abyss appears in the New Testament. First time is here, translated abyss. In Romans, it's translated the deep. Seven times in the book of Revelation, it is translated the bottomless pit. So they know they're headed to the bottomless pit. By the way, and this is such an encouragement, Revelation chapter 20, don't go to it now, but make a mental note or jot it down and read it later. If you're unfamiliar with it, after the rapture of the church, after the resurrection of the dead and the rapture which follows and uh, the reunion we experience in heaven, we will return with the Lord and he will establish his kingdom on earth for a thousand years. It's called the millennium. Millennium just means a thousand, of course. So, so uh, here, here's what's happening. Some have suggested we're already there. Satan was bound at the cross. The word of God has bound the deception. And, and so this is the glorious millennium. And I just like to declare today, if this is it, we've been ripped off because this is nothing like what the Bible describes as that, that millennial reign of Jesus. Once more, we're told that Satan will be bound. He will be chained. He will be sealed. And he will be in a bottomless pit for a thousand years. And here's the clincher. He tells us why, how we can know this isn't it and how we'll know when it is. Because he says that he could deceive the nations no more. So all you have to do is look around, ask the simple question, are the nations being deceived? Absolutely, our nation is deceived. The the world nations are deceived. But in that day, everyone will know the Lord. It says no one will have to say, know the Lord, we'll all know the Lord. And that day we'll all worship. And will be worshiping the true and living God. Well, in any case, they're begging that he wouldn't judge them before the time. That he wouldn't command them to go into the abyss, to the deep, to the bottomless pit. Now a herd of swine was feeding there on the mountain, verse 32. So they begged him, third time, that he would permit them to enter him. Do you see this? The fact that they have to beg, that they have to beg, that they have to beg demonstrates that Jesus has control over demonic powers. And and this is so important. The Bible says that, that all things, again, created by him and for him, those created things include Satan and all the other fallen angels that we know as demons. Were they always demons? No, they were created perfect. They were created to worship and love and serve God just as we have been. But Satan rebelled and took a third of them with him. So those that were created for God are now fighting against God in rebellion to God and trying to devastate everything loved by God, especially man who was created in the image of God. Well, they beg him that they could go into the swine. The demons went out of the man, entered the swine. The herd ran violently down to the steep place into the lake and drowned. It's just a reminder. The enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Jesus says, I've come that they might have a life, and that more abundant. Well, when those who fed them saw what happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see what happened, and they came to Jesus, and they found the man from whom the demons had departed. And listen to this description or read it with me, verse 35, sitting. At the feet of Jesus, but not just sitting there before Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. Listen, if the hopeless case is mental, or if it's emotional, or if it's spiritual, or if, well, whatever the case is, Jesus is able to restore, Jesus is able to transform. And that's what happens here. As they came, they see a man transformed. Yes, he'd been hopeless, but once Jesus comes on the scene, hey, he doesn't just bring hope or a message of hope. He is our hope. Well, those also, verse 36, who had seen it, told them by what means he who had been demon-possessed was healed, and the whole multitude of the surrounding region of the Gadarenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. Now, this is a, a, a strange response, but... I remembered, and some of you will as well, when Peter saw the first miracle as Jesus, um, you know, gave him this mighty catch of fish. Peter's response was, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. And there's something about being in the presence of God, seeing the power and the glory of God that causes us naturally to shrink away. But listen, he's trying to draw us in. We are invited again and again and again. Come boldly to the throne of grace to find help in time of need. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come and drink of the waters of life freely. You who are uh, heavy laden and and laboring and weary. He says, come to me, all who are heavy laden and weary, and, and I will give you rest. Well, he invites us in. They're asking him to leave. The man from whom the demons had departed Begged him. So we've seen the demons three times. Now we see this totally new man, this restored person, begging that he might be with him. Now listen, all are called to testify and some are called to completely separate and follow. Jesus had chosen many disciples and he chose from those the 12 he called apostles. And in this guy's case, he doesn't say, Yeah, come join, travel with us, you know, be apart. No, he says to him and I think he'd say to us, Jesus sent him away saying, return to your own house and tell what great things God has done for you. And he went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things God had done or Jesus had done for him. I think that this is God's intention for every one of us and not just, okay, I got saved because, well, for some of us, that's 30 years back. For some of you, well, That couldn't be because you're far this side of 30 years old. But the point is this. If the last thing that you can testify that God did for you was save you from your sin, then you're not really paying attention or something's really gone wrong in the process. He begins the day you surrender your life to transform you by the renewing of your mind into a person more like Jesus. And we should be able to look back at this last week, each and every one of us and say, look at what God has done for me. I want to testify of the great things that God has done for me. And there are many in this room right now who have such a testimony of God's faithfulness over the last year or weeks or months or days. And uh, I want to encourage you, his heart, his desire, is that we would go to those who know us best and testify What great things God has done for us.
0: The storm in our story today was completely under the command of our Lord and would have brought no fear to Him. The Lord is the creator of storms and He often uses them for His own purposes. And many times those purposes are to get our attention and to bring us to a point where we can do nothing else but call on Him for help, to get us to our wit's end. Listen to what it says in Psalm 107 verses 25 through 28. For he commands and raises the stormy wind, which lifts up the waves of the sea. They mount up to the heavens, and they go down again to the depths. Their soul melts because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man, and are at their wit's end. Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brings them out of their distresses.